welcome to Embrace Live Thrive, a podcast to encourage women that depression and anxiety are not normal parts of motherhood. To realize that taking care of yourself is important and you, mom, are worthy of care, and that is the best way to care for your family. Join me as we talk through issues in mental, social, nutritional, physical health, and so much more. Now is the time to start talking and admit that motherhood is the hardest thing we have ever done, but also the most rewarding. I hope you were able to listen as I tell you that it is okay to not be okay, but what is not okay is to stay there. I hope to equip you with tools, tips, resources to help get you through some of life's most exhausting moments. And at the end of the day, realize that you are the best mom out there for your family. Hey guys, it's Dr. Sarah Meyer, and I have a super special interview for you today. Sarah Hall with Faith Through Fire, an organization that mentors and supports women walking through breast cancer, joins me and shares about her own journey with breast cancer. Sarah was living what she considered a healthy life. She was pregnant with her second daughter, but at 31 weeks pregnant, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and was basically told that she needed to get herself unpregnant. She delivered her daughter at 35 weeks and began treatment almost immediately. Sarah talks about the grief she experienced around nursing, choosing to have a prophylactic mastectomy on the other side, and the anxiety that set in after all the treatment was done. She encourages us to get researching, get curious, and work to figure out what is best for you, your health, and your family. Faith Through Fire is an incredible organization doing so much good in our community. Please take the time to check out their website. Listen, take the time to like, share, and spread the mission of Embrace Live Thrive to help women know it is okay not to be okay. But let's not stay there. Here's Sarah. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining in today. I am super, super excited about this conversation. I met Sarah Hall through my networking group and she is a phenomenal person, super motivating, encouraging, which is actually what she does for a living. Today, we're just gonna talk about her journey walking through breast cancer and just what she's learned, how she's walked back into her health. So Sarah, if you would just take a second and introduce yourself, your family, your business. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. My name is Sarah Hall. Um, I met Sarah. You interview a lot of Sarahs. I was listening to your podcast. That, all um, the good ones are Sarahs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of the good ones are Sarahs. Sure. I met Sarah through a Little Black Book, which is our networking group. And we run the book club, um, yeah. which is really cool because I feel like that's a nice little self-care thing if anybody's looking for self-care. I'm the mother of two girls. I have a seven-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And then I'm also a first responder wife that comes with, that comes with its own little stresses. Yeah. Family is all really close. I grew up in Columbia, which is just in the middle of the state of Missouri. And then my husband's family is here local around St. Louis and then around St. Louis. And my business, the organization that I work with is called Faith Through Fire. It's a nonprofit organization that was actually started by someone here locally who noticed that there was a need, there was a gap in care in healthcare, in the emotional well-being of women as they go through a breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah. A lot of times when you're diagnosed, you can ask your provider, Hey, I want to talk to somebody who's been through something like this. And they've got to jump through the hoops of HIPAA and ask if it's okay and understand your situation. And everybody's diagnosis is very unique. So she realized what would be really beneficial is just having a mentor program. So we were both lucky enough to have people who had been through it and experienced it. So she created a a mentorship program and I hopped on board about two years into her having this nonprofit. And I've been with her um, now for 
um, almost a year and wow. it's just been, it's been wonderful to see the nonprofit grow and, yeah. and everything. We'll talk a little bit more of some of the exciting things that you're doing here in a little bit, but let's start beginning of your journey. Can you yeah. discuss the events around your finding your lump? Yes. I was 31 weeks pregnant when I felt what I thought was lactational, early lactational changes. Uh-huh. It was my second pregnancy. Um, so I had, I had been pregnant before and I had breastfed before I breastfed for 15 months, my first one. Yeah. And when I felt the lump, it was in, in the shower and I was like, wow, that feels really big. I wonder what that is. I guess I'm getting ready to breastfeed again and everything's yeah. just like firing back up. And one day I took a particularly hot shower because it was the beginning of February. And when I got out, I had some bloody discharge out of my nipple and thought yeah. that was real weird. So yeah. I spoke with the midwives that I was working with at the time who felt my lump and were pretty concerned about it. So I saw somebody the very next day who was a family practice doctor and she herself called the oncology office, the first oncology office that I went to and scheduled my appointment. I got basically my unofficial diagnosis on Valentine's day, which was just three, four days later after that weekend. Yeah. I was 31 weeks pregnant. I was pretty much told immediately you, we can't really do anything until you're not pregnant because you're too far along to get chemo while you're pregnant. Right. But there's nothing that we can do right at this moment. So get yourself on pregnant is what they said. Wow. That's crazy. Fast forward. You delivered early. Yep. So I had her at 35 weeks. It was an induction, which was a big change from the out of hospital birth that I was planning. Right. Um, I had an induction, which everything went fine and normal. Um, it was great. I had all my midwife friends there and my, my friend midwife got to deliver my daughter had my first mastectomy two weeks later. So I wanted to try to breastfeed and if it was going to be stage zero, I was going to get the opportunity to, but they wouldn't know until they did the biopsy on my tumor, did a single mastectomy on one side and kept my unaffected breast. Got to breastfeed for two months, but when my pathology came back, they said it was actually invasive ductal carcinoma, which just meant that my cancer had leaked outside of the ducts. So then that qualified me as stage one, which meant I would need chemo. I breastfed hardcore on that one side for two months and um, behind the scenes, all my midwife friends were actually collecting um, donor breast milk for my baby, which I got to use for an entire year. So that took a huge weight off my shoulders and provided a lot of stress relief for me, but it was still very sad to lose that opportunity. Right. That has its own fallout of grief. Yeah. Losing Mm -hmm. that something that is important to you and not being able physically, not being able to do that. Something I'm sure you had to grieve and process. I did separate from this disease that you're now fighting in your mind. I think with my first, I was like, we're so close because I breastfed her and I associated the two. And, and I think for anybody who's listening this, where you, maybe you have IGT uh, insufficient, I think it's insufficient glandular tissue where you can't breastfeed, uh, you know, like it, that doesn't make the bond. Like, and I think in my mind, that's what I was grieving. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose the relationship with my daughter. Absolutely not. She's like closer with me than my first. So (laughs) it's just something that like we tell ourselves when in reality, you can still form that bond through other connections. Correct. Fast forward to, you said you had a second. Yes. Yes. What the circumstances around the second one? When you are diagnosed pre COVID, now the rules are changed with COVID and it being an elective surgery. 
When you're this young, you can elect to have a prophylactic. And in other situations, you can elect to have a double mastectomy, even if yeah. the cancer is only found on one side. And I, for me, I mentally knew that I would always be worried about the cancer yeah. coming back on the other side. And every time I'd go in to get a mammogram, would I be worried about what they'd find? And I just didn't want to have to worry about that extra radiation from mammography. So yeah. it just gave me peace of mind to choose to do a prophylactic on the other side. I ended up going um, through chemo, which was about a process of six months. So from the time I had my single mastectomy on the one side, okay. I had my prophylactic and then the start of my reconstruction surgery, mm-hmm. that was six month time frame. I spent six months with a flat chest on one side, which was a whole thing to deal with when you're going through the summer, when you're like a spaghetti strap kind of person, yeah. <laughs> prosthetic that you're trying not to fall out of your t-shirt. So <laughs> Um, but that's a, a whole nother resiliency building thing, um, right. and a hit to your confidence. But so I did the second surgery at the end of the summer and then started the reconstruction process okay. that in, ended at a year once my um, year from diagnosis happened. Wow. That yeah. is a long process. It is. Yeah. Fast forward. How did you manage your family mm-hmm. as you were walking through chemotherapy? and other treatments that can potentially make you very ill. Mm-hmm. I, I have a really amazing husband and his work was so supportive of, and my work was so supportive of everything that we were going through. Yeah. I wasn't worried about managing our house because I had the time off. Mm-hmm. Even my husband, I felt, I felt actually pretty fine through chemo, but my husband was like, no, I need you to recover, stay home, take the days off if they're letting you. And his work, he's a firefighter and wow. a lot of the guys donated sick days to him so that he oh could my gosh. with me. So we had, we That's actually amazing. ended up having more family time than we've ever had in our lives. Yeah. Managing the family wasn't necessarily a thing. What was probably our biggest struggle was the fact that we, we are go, go people and we're like, do we really like a to-do list and we like having goals and setting priorities and managing them and organizing our day. But we don't like really set time aside to have a feeling about me losing my hair or have a feeling about what I'm going through or being angry or crying or just processing everything that we went through. Yeah. And we didn't really do that until I was, let's see, I, I ended my chemo treatment at the beginning of July. And it was about the fall of that year okay. when like, you know, everything hit the fan. Yeah. I brought it up to my husband. Like, I feel like I'm just having these weird nights. I always have been a great sleeper, but what I was finding was that I was waking up almost religiously at three o'clock in the morning Yeah, and just staying awake for three hours, just lying in one place and thinking about the finances and the state of our marriage and how Piper's doing and just, you know, everything, everything about the world and about our lives. And I couldn't just shut, I couldn't shut my brain off. Yeah. And it was playing out in my days. I was irritable. I felt like I was living an out of body experience. I had a few nights that were pretty dark. Like I had thoughts like, if I died, I, what kind of insurance benefits would Eric get? Like, would he be able to take time off? Um, you know, what, what if I helped myself die? Like it, there was lots of dark thoughts, which is, it's never been something that's entered my brain. I'm always that like religiously optimistic person. Um, 
you know, everybody came to me when I was going through it saying, I don't know how you're doing it. And to find yourself in that place where you're feeling the opposite of what people are seeing in you feels like a separation of who you are. And I struggled a lot with coming out to say, I don't know who you're seeing because I don't feel the way that you're telling me that I am. Right. So it wasn't until I was at work one day and I had just got some I was reading lots of books and, and I'm, I'm the type of person, like if something's going wrong, I'm, I'm going to dive deep and I'm going to figure out what's going wrong. Like it's a puzzle. Right. And I I had been reading a bunch of, you know, undoctored, I think was a book I read. I was reading like whole health books. I feel like I've heard of a few of those. Yep. And, um, they talked a lot about thyroid labs. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was actually the medical assistant at a birth center And so I asked the midwife, Hey, would it be okay if I like ran a couple of labs on myself about my thyroid? And, um, on this particular day, my lab results had come back and my thyroid antibodies were like through the roof, very unusual. The other labs were like other values were normal, but I Googled immediately. What does this mean when your thyroid antibodies? Dr. Google. Oh yes. And you know, for a lot of people, I'm some people are like, Oh, don't ever Google. And I'm, I go, well, you know what? Sometimes it does at least it piques your interest on something for yeah. you to explore further. Like it could right. scare the, scare the bejesus out of you, but it could yeah. also like motivate you to do something. And I'm the motivate me to do something right. me in the moment. But one of the first things it was like thyroid cancer or metastatic breast cancer. I mean, a lot of things came up, but a lot of the symptoms were insomnia mm-hmm inability to lose weight, like racing mind, a lot of the symptoms that they were, that were listed, I was experiencing like specifically. So I said, okay, well, this could be what's going on with me. And so I ended up seeking help from a functional medicine doctor. I started seeing a counselor, all of that combined helped kind of weed things out slowly Mm -hmm. one by one. And it helped you kind of get back on that journey. And one of the things we were talking about right before we started recording was that you had thought you were healthy. Yes. <clears throat> you, yep. you were living a healthy life and now you're falling out and you are actually pretty ill. Yeah. My educational background is actually as a athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. I've worked in gym settings. I've worked in a school setting. I work with people on their health and I understand yeah. health. and to me, it was always taught, like, I mean, the more exercise, the better. Or, I mean, maybe that's what I made up in my mind. Right. And, you know, you eat fine and you're fine. Well, to me, those two things added up to health and that was it, like yeah. bottom line. But I think one of the things that I realized when I was going through my own health journey and working with a functional medicine doctor and, and exploring my own health and like just the way that things affect me was yeah. that it does. Sometimes it doesn't matter necessarily what you're eating or what you're putting in your body. If you don't reduce your stress, yeah. if you don't take care, if you're, if you're working out to the point where your body can't even recover, like right. that in itself is a massive amount of stress. Yeah. Um, then none of the other stuff really even matters. It's true. So really true. Hu- those were, those were huge learnings for me. And what I found really beneficial was that when I backed off of like running, cause I was a huge, like half marathons, five Ks, anybody asked me to do them, I would do them with them. And, um, when I stopped running, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to be huge. I'm going to put on weight. You know what? I didn't. And like, 
Yeah. My body actually like started to recover better and I felt better. I slept better. Like yeah. so many things kind of just worked itself out. That's funny. So it's I the mean, funny, it, the, the things that we tell ourselves. It is. It's the things that you tell yourself that you believe to the depth of your soul until you realize, wait a minute, this isn't actually true. It's just a story I'm telling myself, but it goes back to everything in moderation. Exercise is good. Eating healthy is good. Reading good productive books are good, but it's all mod- moderation. If you go mm-hmm. extreme on any one thing, you then fall into a different type of unhealth. So it's kind of finding that middle ground. Yeah. What encouragement or recommendations do you have for women that be- might be listening that are struggling with one, either maybe a diagnosis of breast cancer or two, just struggling with something that's just hard. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of women going through things right now that are just hard. Mm -hmm. What are some encouragement that you can give for those women or things that they might be able to do to start helping at least a mindset shift? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things for me is find somebody who's been through something similar and just talk to them because you can go to your family members and you can go to your friends, but sometimes it's just it's like, they're not your people. I mean, not that they're not your people, but like, yeah. you might not quite get what you're going through. And to find that person to say, oh, I felt that same thing. Like the thing that you feel within yourself when you find that and have that conversation is like a little bit of validation that you're not completely on an Island by yourself. Right. And, and that, and just saying yes to support, mm-hmm. even if somebody is like, I want to support you in whatever way. And it feels weird to say, you know, what I need today is for you to like, I don't know, like for us to go get a drink or for us to yeah. go get our nails done or, you know, whatever, whatever the ask is, if somebody's offering say yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not a sign of weakness to accept help. Mm-hmm. It's actually a sign of growth, you know, that you realize that you need this extra hand or this extra um, boost today. And yeah. people want to help you. They just don't always know how either. So sometimes Mm -hmm. if you just say, Hey, can you come help me with laundry or can you wash dishes? People are more than willing to do those things. Mm -hmm. They just don't know what you need. Sometimes just reflecting on asking what you actually need Mm -hmm. is super important. Exactly. Yep. Could not agree more. Let's talk about the nonprofit faith through fire. Talk to us about what one, what it is what you're doing to the associated podcast, because one, I love the name of it. You guys (laughs) clever, clever, clever. I love clever things. So tell us just a little bit about faith through fire. Yeah. Like I said, in the beginning, faith through fire was started by Beth when she realized like just having a mentorship program out there for women to connect, who've been through something similar would be really beneficial and supports women emotionally through a breast cancer diagnosis. So that's kind of how faith through fire started as a mentorship initiative. Uh It has since grown. We have the mentorship program, but we also do have a partnership with build a bear. So we'll send bears to kids. Well, to the moms to give to their kids almost as a way for you to talk about what's going on with mom or maybe even with grandma. We've sent them to a tons of grandkids. 
um, just a, a way to explain what's going on and to give that like so, um, source of tangible comfort for kids. Yeah. We also have a partnership, a new partnership with Innsbruck, Missouri, um, yes. where we're building a respite house. Um, so so cool. we're hoping, thank you. We're hoping that it'll be up May 1st is going to be our big launch event. We're hoping that it's up by then and it will just be able to give women who are metastatic stage four or anybody who just needs a break from the rigors of treatment to just go get away, to, to take their family, to create memories yeah. and just check out from treatment for a little while. That's awesome. Oh, so, and the podcast. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> don't forget the podcast. The podcast. The yeah. podcast. Um, so the podcast actually started before I was even officially with Faith Through Fire. So Beth and I were friends and we were coming up with a name and we were just spitballing a lot of things around, but we came up with Besties with Breasties. We can be found on all the major platforms. Besties with Breasties podcast we wanted to share the real experience, mm-hmm. not the pink ribbon that everybody sees at the walk, the real things that you hear about or that you don't hear about, about oh. what surgery is like, what your marriage is like, what happens to your sex life after a cancer diagnosis. Right. I mean, basically anything and everything, we are diving deep into it right now on the podcast. That is fantastic. And I've listened to just a few of them and they are really good. They're super fun, upbeat, even with heavier topics. Mm-hmm. You still guys have a way of making it relatable. Oh, so, you know, yeah. Kind of as a final question on this topic, what are things that as you were walking through your cancer diagnosis, what are things that people did that were helpful? I'm you know, looking at if I have a friend that's been diagnosed with breast cancer, what are things that I can do that's maybe supportive of them that they may not even realize they need? Let's see. I have, I have maybe three things, but for sure two. So first my, my best friend who is more in tapped with her emotions than I am. And Uh like, we know this about each other. So I can say that out loud. I remember when I got diagnosed and I've said this on our podcast too, is she texted me and I will never forget. And she said, what do you need me to be? We can get together. We can scream. We can cry. We can go have a drink, like whatever you need, just tell me and we will go do it. Like that meant the most to me because a lot of people at, when you get diagnosed and everybody finds out and they learn, they just are like, what do you need? And you don't even know what you need at that moment. Right. So having somebody tell me that we could go have whatever emotion I was having at the time felt like, okay, I can't, it's safe for me to go to you and like cry if we need to cry. Like yeah. maybe I just need someone to cry with. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was just being connected with other survivors. My aunt was actually my mentor Mm -hmm. And she, I knew she was a breast cancer survivor, but never like we weren't, we weren't like we were close, but we weren't like close. Like we are now. Right. Um, And when she knew I was diagnosed, she immediately like swooped in and just became that person. And so just matching people up who've had similar, sometimes it seems like a very simple gesture, but (laughs) it can sometimes be life-changing when somebody is connected with somebody and they share in this, like the darkest moments together. Right. So exciting about what you're doing with faith through fire and just, it's just super supportive of women who are struggling. What are the best ways that we can find you? We can find the nonprofit. How can we reach out and find more information or information to support what you're doing? 
Um, you can go to our website. It's faiththroughfire.org. Um, follow us on social media. We're pretty active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we post pretty regularly on there and then we're posting usually, um, we, right now we have a registry up for the house. It's like a wedding registry, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, um, and then you can follow the podcast on all the major platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all of them. Stitcher, all the ones. Stitchers. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of them. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate you sharing a vulnerable, hard story. Cancer is never anything that's easy just to talk about. I appreciate you coming on and just being really open about what your journey looks like. Let's wrap up with one of my favorite questions. What is your favorite form of self-care? Uh, I like made a list and I narrowed it down to my, final that is hilarious. <laughs> I really do like, there's a lot of things, but I think my number one thing, like when I walk out of the house in the morning, uh, that I feel like, wow, I took care of myself this morning was doing something for me. Cause you wake up as a mom and you're like, I got to get the lunch ready for school. And like, did I get her on the bus on time? And did I, did I make sure she brushed her hair? Like, in, and you feel yes. like yourself a checklist, but then sometimes you walk out and if you're like me, you go, did I even eat breakfast? So giving myself something, if that's, um, maybe being able to make it to the sauna in the morning or doing five minutes of meditation, or I I love to do fascia work with like a foam roller or fascia blasting. If I do something in the morning, that's for me, that's my favorite form. That is one of the biggest things I encourage moms to do as well is you, one of the easiest things that you can do for self-care on a daily basis is establishing a morning routine, making the time to get up before your children and make time, especially for you. And that can include your foam rolling. It can include affirmations. It can include scripture reading, prayer, meditation, journaling, whatever fills your cup, whatever meets you where you are, but making the time to do that for yourself helps Mm -hmm. with mindset. It helps with just getting yourself prepared for the chaos that ensues when the children wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just can't encourage women enough to establish exactly what you said, doing something for yourself before the day really gets going. Exactly. So I, I always try and make myself get up at least 30 minutes before the kids to have that time because I'm a better person and I feel better mm-hmm. when I do that. Yep. It's not for anybody else. It's for, for me. me. Yep. It's for me. So. Close that bathroom door. Absolutely. (laughs) Disregard the fingers that may get stuck under it. (laughs) Well, Sarah, again, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Guys, I hope you really are encouraged and just feel supported. And thanks for listening.